From the Los Angeles Times, this is Coronavirus in California, stories from the front lines. I'm Gustavo Arellano. It's Monday, May 25th, Memorial Day. Today, at this point, nearly 100,000 people in the U.S. have lost their lives to COVID-19. To try to memorialize the deaths in our state as the individual lives that they were, the Los Angeles Times has created a project called The Pandemic's Toll, Lives Lost in California. These are the remembrances not of celebrities or politicians, but your neighbor, your family, your friends. One of the writers for the project is Metro reporter Alejandra Reyes Velarde. You can find her obituaries and others by my colleagues at latimes.com and in our print edition as well. Blue Shield of California would like to take this moment to thank the mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, daughters, sons, friends, and heroes on the front line. This fight is tough, but so are you. And we're grateful for your courage and your dedication to keeping us all safe and healthy. Thank you. So Alejandra, describe this project that you're a part of. Yeah, so basically me and a few of our colleagues are trying to document the stories of people who have died from the virus. I mean, it's essentially that we're just chronicling and memorializing these lives and getting to as many people as we can. It's obviously impossible to reach the hundreds and hundreds of family members of people who have died in a short time, but we're trying to do the best we can because it definitely shows the impact of this virus and kind of the why of why we're cooped up in our homes, why we can't live the lives that we used to. And it's because people are dying and and these people are, you know, experiencing so much pain from losing their loved ones. And just to reiterate, we're not talking about celebrities here. We're not talking about this is not a regular project of the obituaries desk. This is a special project specifically devoted to the quote unquote normal people, normal Californians who have been passing away. Yeah, exactly. It's it's all people All across the state, I've mostly spoken to family members locally. But yeah, anybody in California, the average people whose lives are impacted by this and just giving them a chance to share their stories. How's it been for you? Because usually you're doing all sorts of stories for the Metro Desk. You and I, we've collaborated on some. But now all you're doing with this project is you're talking to people about uh, their loved ones who passed away. Yeah, it's definitely, it's it's difficult. I think it's difficult for anybody to do obituaries. It's, it's just a, a really hard thing. I think for me personally, in the beginning of this, before I started working on the obituaries, I remember feeling a little bit disconnected, just kind of like, I think like a lot of people were feeling like, why are we stuck in our homes? Why have our lives changed? And what is this invisible force that is you know, changing our lives this way. And once I started talking to the, these people, it really became clear to me. And I think when you read these stories, you understand, like, the reason that we're doing everything we can to stay safe is so that we can save as many lives as possible. I mean, on a personal level, it's helped me to feel more connected to kind of see the real world impact of this virus that we honestly, I think, don't really get to see every day because we're stuck inside, because maybe if we don't know anybody personally affected, it's it's kind of hard, I guess, to see that impact. So how do you approach the subject? Everyone has different stories to tell. Everyone's in different stages of grief. What, what are some of the strategies that you use to be able to tell the best possible story? 
I think I've adopted a policy of being straightforward with the people who I reach, letting them know kind of what my intention is. I, I just want to memorialize their families' lives and telling them what I'm doing. Once I do that, I really just try to let people talk and try to let people tell their stories. And more often than not, it doesn't take long to see how remarkable these lives are just from having their family members talk to me about it. And, and a lot of them, I think, are in this grieving process. It, they sometimes express that it helps to remember their loved one's life. So I wouldn't say I have much of a strategy. Uh, a lot of the times after hearing people talk and, and listening to them, then you kind of pinpoint, wow, like this is a really m remarkable thing about their life and, and you go from there. I haven't written one for this particular project, but I have written obituaries in the past. And that's what I've also discovered, that you think it's hard to write these obituaries because these people are going through so much pain. But it's almost like once they start talking about it, even for a couple of minutes, they're able to, you know, remember fondly, be in a way happy about this was this person's life. They did. They lived an amazing life and it's horrible. And we're grieving that our, our loved one have passed away. But at least now they're being memorialized by someone else. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think some people have told me, you know, it helps in the grieving process and especially now because they don't have that part of maybe they don't have a funeral or maybe they weren't able to say goodbye or for the most part, they weren't able to say goodbye. But having this step in the process, I think it can be helpful for some people. One thing I do always ask is if they could share a memory of their loved one, a, a special time that they remember maybe in these recent days because I find that that always brings up some really nice stories and really personal moments. This LA Times podcast is presented by Blue Shield of California. The fight is tough, but so are you. Thank you, Frontline. This advertiser has no influence over editorial decisions or content. So Alejandra, what are some of the more memorable stories that you've heard so far? Yeah, uh, one of the early ones that I wrote was about a man named Scott Blanks. He was a black man living in Whittier, and he was only 34 years old. And I think that one has stood out to me because he was so young. And as I was talking to his friends, he seemed to have just an endless number of friends. So many people, you know, on social media, he could have been a celebrity, and they all kind of echoed stories of how positive and vibrant he was and how he was the life of the dance floor. He loved to dance. He loved to be with his friends and support his friends. And I don't know, whenever I hear stories about people like that, it, it always is really touching. But especially with Scott, he was so young and, and definitely going into another part of his life. He had just uh, recently become a, a dental assistant and was just entering this new phase of his life. And it's always sad, of course, when um, people so young have their lives cut short. And, and he's one of many. I think his story exemplified how 
little we knew about the virus, because of course, initially we thought it impacted elderly folks. And of course it does, but there's also so many young people who are um, going through this as well. How about some other ones? One that has stuck with me has been the story of the mother and daughter who actually died from the virus on the same day. Their names were Leti Ramirez and Carolina Tavar. And Leti was her mother's caregiver, her most trusted caregiver. They watched like old Mexican films together. They did their nails together. They cooked together. They were really, really close. And Leti took her mother to the hospital many times as she aged and, and went through um, dialysis treatments and other other treatments. And yeah, it, it hit them both around the same time. And it was really hard on the family. They told me, you know, the, the story about when they were not not in the hospital room, but on FaceTime, a nurse kind of holding up the phone on FaceTime for like a dozen of their family members who were all telling their grandmother Carolina, how much they loved her and and basically saying goodbye and just trying to envelop her in their voices as she died. And they didn't expect that just a few hours later, Leti would, would leave them as well. And that was especially, I think, heart-wrenching to hear. Just for anyone to lose one person is difficult, but two people in one day is, I, you know, I still can't imagine it. And then you had the story about the Azusa family. Uh, Ten members of the family contracted coronavirus, and one of them passed away. Guillermo Ramirez, he was 47. He was the main breadwinner of the family. And he was also especially strict about safety. He didn't let his family go in and out. He, They were all super safe, and he was the most strict. And um, he would only allow his son to go with him on grocery runs it still made its way into the home and and slowly one by one members of the family began to get sick and the grandchildren they had three grandchildren in the house ages three two and eight months they didn't show symptoms and a 12 year old son as well but they also tested positive for the virus and of course the father Guillermo didn't make it yeah, that that one, you know, I, I've heard a lot of stories about like a lot of members of a family getting sick. It's kind of difficult, especially for people who have large families and, and relatively small spaces. It's difficult not to be in the same space. You, you're, you know, using the same bathroom and all of that. What struck me about that story actually was the love story between Guillermo and his wife. They met when they were 16 and I, I don't know. I just I thought that was so it was such a nice story to hear from from the wife, to hear her talk about her husband and from childhood and how he changed his life. And he kind of went from being a little bit of a troublemaker to just loving being a father. And and now that family doesn't have their, you know, their main provider. What are all these stories teaching you both about coronavirus, but also your uh, our fellow Californians? I've definitely learned a lot. Each each person I feel teaches me something different just with their life. About the virus, I've very quickly learned that it's so much more vicious and discriminatory and it affects different people in different ways, you know, than we had thought in the early days. And also that 
we know so little about it. I mean, there are always outliers like Scott Blanks, who was so young, and people who were healthy and and people who, you know, their families thought they were going to come out of this perfectly fine. And it, it has taught me just how unpredictable and aggressive the virus is, even if I haven't seen it firsthand. About our fellow Californians, I mean, I just think it's so beautiful that no matter who I talk to, like across demographics, across neighborhoods, or socioeconomic statuses, it's so incredible how we're all so similar. We all just want to be with our families. We all just want to live our lives, and we have so much more in common than maybe we all think we do. And again, the project is called The Pandemic's Toll, Lives Lost in California. Read all of them online on our website, latimes.com, and you can see the stories uh, in the print edition as we print them. Thank you again so much for what you're doing, Alejandra, and for this interview. Thanks for having me. That's it for today's episode of Coronavirus in California, Stories from the Front Lines. Thanks for listening. Do you have a story you want to share with us? Call our hotline at 213-986-5652 and leave us a message. That's 213-986-5652 or email me, gustavo.ariano at latimes.com. This podcast was hosted by me, Gustavo Ariano. Our producers are Paige Himeson and Stan Lee. Our senior producer is Rena Palta, and our executive producer is Abby Fentress Swanson. Our engineer is Mike Heflin, and our original music was composed by Andrew Epen. If you like our podcast, subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple. Special gracias to Julia Turner, Shelby Grad, Hector Becerra, and Clint Schaff. For the latest coronavirus stories by my LA Times colleagues, including an up-to-the-minute tracker of cases across California, don't forget to visit our website. Right now, access to facts has never been more important, and the LA Times is in the business of reporting them. Stay connected and subscribe because your subscription supports the production of podcasts like this one and our award-winning journalism. Visit latimes.com slash support LA Times to subscribe. Stay safe and see you tomorrow.